So what's it doing? From New Studio 110 at the University of Nevada, Reno, this is Niche. A show about unique interests. I'm Joey Lovato. And I'm Alec Meyerhoff. Today for our first episode, we're going to be talking about something very American. Beer. Specifically homebrew. My dad has been homebrewing for as long as I can remember, and we figured it would be a great way to start off. There's just so many different rabbit holes you can go down with this hobby. The gurgling that you heard up top was actually beer fermenting in my garage, brewed by my dad. It's uh, basically blowing off a CO2, and at this point the fermentation is so active, it's creating this huge foam head on there that's and it's, it's bigger than the vessel, the fermenter can hold, so it's blowing it off through the tube. So some of that is foam and yeast going down into the, uh, the, uh, the blow-off receptacle. The blow-off receptacle that he is talking about is actually just a yellow cup from my kitchen, of course. We could begin by telling you about the origin of beer, how some wealthy guy back thousands of years ago was playing with yeast and water in his backyard and miraculously came up with beer. But that's not what this podcast is all about. So we went out to discover what becoming a home brewer entails. We wanted to explore the modern hobby, what people do and how they get started with homebrewing today. So, to start out, let's say you wanted to brew some beer for a game night with some friends, or that you're interested in the process of brewing beer. Or whatever it may be, but you wanted to brew a batch of beer. Well, the first question is, how do I start? We asked homebrewing gold medalist, who you heard in the beginning, my dad, Darren Lovato. Usually start off with a kit or a recipe from a homebrew store that includes the extract syrup, the hops, and the yeast. And then you, uh, you know, I started off brewing with a four-gallon uh, brew kettle, and I would just you know, boil like three to three and a half gallons at a time and then add that with sterilized water into a fermenter, usually like a six-gallon carboy, which is like a large Alhambra bottle basically, but glass. And then you uh, just pitch the yeast and try to keep it at a relatively constant temperature. And after a couple of weeks, it should be uh, mostly finished. And then you bottle it, add some more sugar before bottling. So the uh, yeast that's left in it eats the sugar and carbonates it in the bottle. And after two weeks, you've got finished beer. Wow, that's really complicated. To simplify a little bit, let's see. Go to a homebrew store and get some sugar, hops, and yeast, boil in a kettle, then ferment, get rid of the yeast, constant temperature for a few weeks, and then finally bottle with a little extra sugar for two more weeks. Easy. Still daunting, but the crazy thing is that I can get even more complicated. These guys can get really into the science behind brewing. Wait until you hear about all the variations they can make. Each ingredient is important in every step of the process, and they can significantly impact the style of beer they're going to taste. I talked to Josh and Dills about starting up a homebrew supply shop in Sparks, Nevada called Brew Chatter. Just a note, there's some construction going on outside that you can hear because the store was located in the industrial part of town. Well, we've seen a lot of things grow with the way uh, people formulate recipes and what people are doing to beer and what they're adding to beer. A lot of things you would never think of putting in a beer we're starting to see go into a beer. So the growth is pretty cool. Experimentation is big and uh, is grown pretty big. And there's a lot of people doing it and getting into it. The one that sticks out the most to me that when someone came in is when 
they put all these carrots in it and I was just like I don't know it's like that's very interesting but you should try it because I don't think there's anybody else doing it <laughs> you know and he put so he did it he put all these carrots in it and he created like a pilsner with a little bit of carrots you know and actually came out pretty good it wasn't bad you know it was very drinkable hmm carrots after all that the brew process doesn't seem all that complicated does it still not convinced you could do this all on your own you don't have to we asked both of these award winners how they got started, and their answers may surprise you. Well, the way I got started in homebrewing was uh, with my neighbor, RJ. He was homebrewing uh, long before I was. And uh, <laughs> he was over brewing his garage, and I just went over there and started hanging out with him, started really enjoying it. And uh, mostly I just watched him brew <laughs> most of the time, and I just sort of hung out and helped him here and there and drink his beer. We liked it so much, you know, we wanted to, we started this club, you know, to start sharing with everyone. And then once the club grew, we decided to, we could share even more if we opened up a store. We uh, talked about it over quite a few years, trying to figure out how we're going to do it and everything. And then the uh, story evolved and got started. I had a neighbor and a coworker who were both dabbling in home brewing and kind of uh, got me, you know, got my, uh, the bug going in my uh in my ear to do it, so I borrowed some of their equipment and did a couple batches and then uh, started buying stuff and doing it myself. What did you brew for your first batch? I It was either a, a pale ale, similar to a Sierra Nevada, or a spiced holiday ale. I can't remember which one was first. I did, I did them both within a couple of weeks of each other. And how did they turn out? They were both good. I mean, I think if I were to taste them nowadays, I wouldn't be all that impressed with them, but I remember the time they were both pretty decent beers and i was happy with them so alec did you know that there were two million barrels of homebrew brewed last year two million barrels yeah that equates to about 150 bottles of beer per barrel so uh, you can do the math on that (laughs) oh my god that's a lot of beer yeah uh there are also 1.2 million homebrewers in the united states right now according to uh, homebrewersassociation.org that seems about right i mean i feel like i know one um how many do you know, aside from, like, your dad's group of friends? Uh, aside from my dad's group of friends, I don't know anybody. Well, that's not true. I know um, two people outside of, like, my dad and his group of homebrewer buddies that uh, there are also homebrewers. So yeah. I think if if you don't know a homebrewer, I'm sure you know somebody that knows a homebrewer. Yeah, definitely. If that's, like, what, one in, or that's a third of a percent of the population. Yeah, it's actually more than you would think. Since 2005, the homebrewing population has almost tripled. Really? It's gone up that much in the last 10 years? Yeah, the growth has been pretty substantial. Nice. What is the cause for that change? Do you know? Um, I think that a lot of homebrewers are around the age of 40 or so. I think that since then, in the last 10 years, people have just been getting older, and then the population has been growing towards a uh, different lifestyle where they want to do more of DIY kind of things. Um, I think that also... Yeah, since- the- DIY revolution has really taken off the last few years, so that does make sense. I also think that um, one of the reasons uh, is because the economy was so bad, people were thinking maybe they could make their own beer instead of having to buy expensive craft brew. Um, and I think that homebrewing is a cheaper alternative to something like that. Joey interviewed someone who has been a homebrewer for over 30 years, way before it took off in the United States. My name is Rob Bates. 
I've been home brewing personally for about 35 years and running the business of selling uh, to people to do their own and providing them with supplies and education to make their own for about 30. It'll be 30 years this August since I've had this business going. Rob owns the Reno Home Brewer, a homebrew supply shop in Reno, Nevada. When you first walk into Rob's shop, you'll see pots, speakers, nuts and bolts. In the back, you'll see a wall of grain and fridges filled with beer. Over the last 30 years, we've actually, well, 30 years ago, you couldn't get any decent ingredients. You couldn't get decent malt, decent hops, or good yeast. But you can get quality stuff now, professional-grade products that you can use at your home that we couldn't get then, particularly in the way of uh, good yeasts that make a nice, clean beer. We asked Rob and some others where they saw the future of home brewing going. Well, the home brewing business has created a lot of people who have gone now into the craft business, and that's professional brewing. That's different than home brewing. Because when you brew at home, beer, wine, any alcoholic beverages, you can't sell it. So if you want to sell it, you have to do do it in a more business-like manner. So you have to open a brewery. Um, And as the craft brewing business has grown, and there are eight or nine of them now in Reno, and 10 years ago there weren't any, Uh, Less people are brewing now than they were four years ago. But I've seen the business go up and go down several times in the last 30 years. And I expect that once people get tired of paying six or seven bucks a pint for uh, craft beer, they'll start making their own again. Because you can make the same quality, you just have to wait for it. Once again, here's Josh Dills from Brew Chatter in Sparks, Nevada. I see it growing. It's definitely going to get a lot bigger. it's gonna, we're going to see all kinds of new, different types of beers, I think. It's, it's constantly changing the types of beers that people are making and evolving with. So The whole homebrewing community in Reno Sparks and the surrounding areas, you know, is pretty strong. You know, everyone's pretty open. And I think the best part about this hobby is everybody wanting to share and just have a good time and share beer with each other, you know. It's uh, not really all that competitive. You know, everyone wants to make good beer, but more than anything, people just want to share and have a good time and talk about beer. I think that's the best part about this store and our customers. And once again, here's Darren Lovato. A lot of people are just, you know, say there are no boundaries. You just, your imagination is your only uh, limitation in homebrewing. So people are, you know, a good example is is sour beer. Sour beers, you know, used to only really come for the most part from from Belgium, and there were some classic ones from Germany too. Um, but uh, in the last five, ten years, sour beer has become a huge deal, and it seems like every new uh, microbrewery that's opening up or craft craft brewer, they almost all have barrel programs now, where they're aging beers either for sometimes not always soured, but oftentimes they're sour, and they're adding bacteria and wild yeast to get different characters and uh it's just it's every year there there's something new you never would have thought of one of the greatest parts about home brewing is the ability to try new things to experiment with different proportions and to find new tastes in beer that you haven't experienced before but that doesn't mean it's always a glamorous process i've had a few bottle bombs as they call them you know when you when you bottle condition beer like i said before you add sugar to it at bottling so there's something more for the yeast to eat and then they if you if the if it wasn't done fermenting when you thought it was, and there's still actually fermentable sugars left in the beer, and then you add more sugar to it, then you're just going to get much more highly carbonated than you thought. Or if it's infected, or you just add too much sugar. I haven't had. Well, I did have a couple of bottles blow up one time, but there's always the stories about the bottles blowing up in the cellar. I had a bottle blow up in here one time, 
somebody brought a bottle in and said, here, try this, and I didn't get to it, and there was something wrong with that thing. And it's sitting there, and all of a sudden, in the middle of the day, this thing, there's like glass everywhere. We, uh, one of the beers that RG and I made, this was one of the, it was when he moved to his Sparks house, and uh, we made this beer, and by the time it got done boiling, we lost a bunch of water somewhere throughout the practice. I think it was supposed to be about a 10-gallon batch. I think we ended up with five. So usually during a brew day, there's a little bit of drinking involved, and we probably forgot to look at our watch on our time. <laughs> and uh, when we poured this beer out of the kettle into the fermenter, it was just green, like pond water green. <laughs> and, you know, it just looked like it had algae and all this stuff. But the reason it was so green is because of all the hops, but it did not look very tasty at all, you know. Pour it in the carboy, and we're like, I don't know about this stuff. And we didn't even taste it once it came out of that brew kettle because it just looked so bad. <laughs> and then... Uh, we let it ferment out, of course. You know, it's like, well, let's see what happens. We let it ferment and go, and it was actually one of the best beers we ever made, and it got a gold medal at the Great Basin Brew-Off. <laughs> so we were pretty stoked about that, you know. That was a pretty insane beer. Even mistakes can lead to good beer sometimes. We asked our guests what their favorite styles of beer were, and for the most part, they were all in agreement. Currently, my favorite style is pretty much what everybody else's favorite style is, the India Pale Ale. They're very hoppy and aromatic and fairly strong, running anywhere from 5 to 8% alcohol. Outside of that, I like the German Bach beers, sort of like dark, malty, and mysterious. Uh, my go-to style, like I just want a beer to drink like I've been working all day or while I'm working, is probably an IPA. Okay. A lot of people like the IPA. <laughs> yeah, IPA is good. It's a good go-to beer, you know, if I just want to get something to drink. Now, if I'm in the mood to, like, taste stuff or whatever, obviously my flavor profile is, you know, varies, you know, depending upon what I want to taste that day. But Well, it's funny because, you know, uh, I'm accused by uh, my wife, your mom, uh, <laughs> of being a, a contrarian and anything that's in style, I'm, I tend to lean against and uh, tend to do things that are wear clothes or favorite things that are not in style but in uh in this case i would say my two favorite styles of beer right now are probably two of the most popular beers out there so and that would be a, a hoppy ipa and a saison anybody who's who likes beer and is interested in the process i definitely would i, I would i think a large i shouldn't say large i think a, a a good percentage of people who dry home brewing will do it a handful of times and then just kind of lose interest and that's fine not it's not everyone's cup of tea you know and then you get the other ones who who try it once and they're just hooked and next thing you know it, you know they brewed six batches in the first two or three months if you're interested in it try it there's uh most homebrew shops are more than happy to uh, give you advice and uh, set you up with an easy recipe to start with. So it's it's not that hard to start. So, Joey, do you feel like you've learned more about homebrewing after this? Does it make you want to try making a batch with your dad? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've helped before, but I've never actually completely made a batch. Uh, I think that this is a really interesting process, and you can actually learn a lot from it. Um, just all the subtleties and all the different nuances that you can do with it. Um, I think starting out simple is a really good way to do it. And then, uh, I mean, why not get fun and add chocolate or peppers or carrots or, you know, hopefully not any green sludge. But <laughs> Yeah, I think it'd be really, really fun to come and, like, next time your dad's making a batch to kind of watch what he does and then maybe to try it out on our own at one point. That'd be really, really fun. Yeah, so you want to try it as well? <laughs> yeah, totally. All right, cool.
Thank you for listening to the very first episode of Niche. We hope you enjoyed learning about the process of homebrewing with us. And if so, we hope that you'll subscribe so you can follow along on our quest to learn about the awesome niches of society. We have some great ones coming up very soon. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at NichePod. We also have a website, NichePod.com. Niche is Alec Meyerhoff and myself, Joey Lovato. We were produced this week by Alec and I with special production help from Phil Corbett. Thank you as well to Rob Bates at the Reno Homebrewer, Josh Dills at Brew Chatter, and my dad, Darren Lovato. Normally, if there wasn't the foam coming out, there would just be, you know, bump, bump, bump. It'd be a, a steady burp. But because the foam is getting up into the tube, it kind of slows things down until it blows it out, and then you get this big one. <laughs>